continuing our series uh, called The Cost, and we're exploring what it truly means to be a follower of Jesus. And um, we're going through the words that Jesus spoke uh, while he was on earth and asking what that really means, not just what we want it to mean or what we hope that it means, but what that actually means and how we can actually live the way that he calls us to. And um, our tagline for this series is all of us for all of him. And as a church, we are desperate to fully know and have all that Jesus has for us. So in order for that to happen, we need to maybe give up some things uh, along the way to do that. So that's kind of our journey through the series of what are the things that maybe we just need to let go of in order to allow Jesus into, or what are the things that we can hold on to that allows uh, actually to experience Jesus more. And um, our passage today is Matthew 13, and it can be found on um, page 738 of the Purple Ridge Bibles. So if anyone needs a Bible, uh, there are those Bibles there that you can pick up. We're in verses 44 to 46. But first, before we start, my title is Kingdom Treasure Hunters. And um, I have a little task for you this morning that I want you to check under your seat that there might be some treasure for you. So why don't you just check under your seat? Is there any treasure? Any treasure? Stephen, maybe the one just in front of you? You know, like, yeah, no, this one here, this one, this one. Totally not planted or scripted at all. Yay! There you go. Oh, well done. Yes, there's treasure. Stephen has found gold. Whisper gold. Now I need another volunteer. There's another piece of treasure lying around. Who would like to volunteer? Ross, come up. You can volunteer for me. Come on, Ross. Now, you need to follow some instructions here, Ross. So... The first instruction is you need to go up to Chris and ask him the next step. Oh, Chris is running away. That's not helpful. Oh, where are you going next? Tell us where you're going next, Ross. Who do you need to find? Linda! Who are you looking for? Can we identify him for you? Or her? You looking for Will? Looking for Will? Where are you going? Behind the Bibles? I don't know any of this, obviously. Yes! Well done, Ross. Well done. Well done. So, as an example, as a nation, I think that we love a treasure hunt, don't we? I, I mean, you see them all the time. Well, maybe not all the time, but people love to come to these shores uh, from different lands and take, hire a metal detector and search on a beach for buried treasure, don't they? Um, the craze. We've had the craze recently of Pokemon Go and of Harry Potter, Wizards Unite, I've shown people on their phones just wanting to follow and find treasure. And also there's this thing, has anyone heard of geocaching? Has anyone heard of geocaching? Yes. It's like uh, this thing where you follow a, a GPS signal and you find, a, find something and in it there's, there's hidden under the surface, there's a treasure and then you put your own treasure in it for the next person to find it. I've never done it, but uh, one of my friends once did a first date going geocaching. Uh, it went well, apart from that they broke up after that. But, you know, uh, they found the treasure they were looking for, though maybe not that. Um, but the point is, we love the thrill of hunting and finding, but sometimes the treasure that we find doesn't always equate to the excitement, to the almost the kind of preamble beforehand. There's that romantic notion of finding gold, of finding lost artifacts, of something valuable, but if you were to go to Stonehaven Beach uh, uh, this afternoon and take out your metal detector, the reality is the treasure that you're going to find buried is probably a tin can, a 1p coin, or something that just doesn't match our expectations. 
But in this passage, we see what Jesus says is real treasure. And the way that Jesus talks in these three verses is that he uses parables. And that was one of the most common ways that Jesus taught. And a parable is a story that compares two subjects that goes from the known to the unknown. And he used these parables to explain what God was like and what the kingdom of God was like. So in our three verses today, we're going to have two uh, parables about what the kingdom of God and what the treasure of the kingdom is. So our question today is, what is the cost of the kingdom of heaven? In a society where the excitement of seeking treasure doesn't measure up to the reality, Jesus paints a picture of treasure that is the most precious thing that we could find. So let's read uh, Matthew 13, verses 44 to 46, um, and it will appear on screen. We could read it twice, it's that short. Jesus says this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he had found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Why don't we just pray for a moment? Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is a guide for life. We thank you that it is a love letter from you to your people. And Lord, we just pray this morning, would you speak to us now? Would you bring words of life to us this morning, Jesus? We thank you for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. So our question is, what is the cost of the kingdom? And the first thing is that the cost of the kingdom is everything. These two parables are explaining the kingdom of heaven. And Matthew is speaking to a predominantly Jewish uh, context. So their understanding of God's kingdom uh, would be called the kingdom of heaven. So what we would know as the kingdom of God, they would know as the kingdom of heaven. So when you hear kingdom of heaven, think kingdom of God. And from both these stories, there's a couple of contrasts within the stories. Verse 44, Jesus says, the kingdom is like treasure hidden in a field. It's like this man who is out just minding his business, laboring, toiling in the field, and he stumbles upon this hidden treasure chest. He wasn't looking for it, but he stumbled upon it. And as he's plowing, he always hears that clanging sound, that kind of bang, that kind of thing. And it's a bang and a bump. And he digs down and he finds this hidden treasure. The next verse, verse 45, says the treasure is found by a merchant looking for fine pearls. So this merchant was seeking out. He'd seen various different things, various really good things, and he knew what he was looking for. He was looking for something actively seeking. And then he experienced the pearl of great price, the pearl beyond all pearls. And that's what he found. And there's those two contrasts. The people in question have different ways of finding the treasure, but their reaction is the same. Verse 40, 44 says, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. Verse 46, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. 
shows us that no matter how we find the kingdom of God, the thing for us is that it's going to cost us everything. The kingdom, the cost of the kingdom is everything. I don't want to sugarcoat that, give you a half-hearted, wishy-washy answer that you can maybe just dip your toe in. But actually, being part of God's kingdom costs us everything. Both men went and sold all they had, everything they could sell to raise enough funds to buy the treasure. And sometimes we can make it seem like it's an easy thing to follow Jesus, or it's an easy thing that we can paint this picture as an optional extra. It's like, if it's not too much trouble, would you let Jesus into your life? But that's not what the Bible says. And that's why we're doing this series, because we want to know exactly what the Bible says and actually how we follow Jesus. It says in Luke 14, it says, In some way, those of you who do not give up everything, you cannot be my disciples. Luke 9 says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves Take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. Jesus wants us to take this very seriously. And that means sacrifice. That means giving up things for him, for his sake and for his glory. And in both those examples, it required that step from each of those men to uh, initiate. And then they received the treasures. Then they received those treasures. And the method of finding the treasure wasn't important, but actually the reaction to finding it was transformational. What would it look like for each of us to live in a way that we can give up everything to gain the kingdom of God? What would that look like? Just think about that for a second. What would that look like? One of... uh, one of the things that Jill and I have enjoyed doing on a date night before is going to the driving range. Does anyone like to go to the driving range now and again? Christine's like, no, absolutely not. Uh, but anyway, if you like to go to the driving range, uh, we enjoy it. We're both able to hit the ball. That's always helpful. Um, and it's something we both enjoy. Uh, it's able to release some uh, some anger, some energy out. And you're like, oh, I just hit the ball. All of my week on a Friday night, all of my week can go into the hitting that ball. And a couple of years ago, we went to the driving range uh, just on uh, South D side. On a Friday evening, um, it was a bit drizzly, but ever the optimist, I was like, right, the only bays free are the outside bays. It's like, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. So we went We went to the driving range on the outside bays. We'd taken uh, my clubs out of the loft. We just picked up a couple of clubs, uh, hadn't picked up anything else. And um, I thought, this is going to be fine. So we're hitting balls. It's all going well. And I decide my trusty sand wedge where I can hit, like, further than probably most other clubs. I was like, I'm going to hit this. I'm going to try and hit this as far as I can. So I'm lining up with my sand wedge. I hit one. goes really well. As you can see, my form as a golfer is excellent. No need for work there. And I put my whole, like, welly into the shot. And I, like, put everything in my mind. And I'm just like, ah, I'm going to hit this ball. I probably scream like a Tarzan scream. Like, ah! And what happens is that I top the ball. So the ball just literally moves from my feet. But my sand wedge goes about 80 yards straight as a die down the fairway onto and probably causing a bit of significant damage to uh, one of the practice greens. So I'm like, oh, rubbish. So what I had to do was I had to go and speak to the manager. And I was like, I had to explain. And he was like, so you've, lo- you've lost a ball. It's like, no, 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 I've lost my club. It's like, oh, can you not just pick it up? It's like, no, no, it's gone like 80 yards. 80 yards, yeah, well, that's quite a good shot. Yeah, I know, tell me about it. It's like, so then... I go back to my, my bay, 
he comes out in like a high vis jacket. The next thing I hear over the PA system is, "Please stop hitting the ball. I need to. Re- I need to retrieve a club." So the whole, it's packed. The whole of the 30 bays all have to stop while he walks out and then presents me with my trusty sandwich. The height of embarrassment, as you will imagine. But the point of that story is, I had an incredibly loose grip on my sandwich, didn't I? What are the things that we need to loosen our grip on? What are the things that maybe God is saying that actually we hold too tightly onto that, but to loosen our grip? What are the things in our lives? They may be really good things, but actually God might be saying, just loosen your grip on that and allow me to move in that. Allow me to work in that. Don't hold that for yourself, but allow me to use it, and it will go further than you could ever imagine. Maybe there's some things that maybe we hold on to that actually we know we need to let go of. And maybe this is the morning that God is just saying to us, loosen your grip on that. Loosen your grip. It might be our job. It might be our status. It might be our dignity, our generosity. We're holding on to that too tight. Loosen our grip to gain the kingdom. We can let go to receive. That's the cost. That's the cost. It's going to cost us everything, but it's so worth it. We'll gain so much more than we could ever let go of. And one example of this is I recently heard a story of the former national director of Alpha in India called Raj. And he was born into uh, the wealthiest caste in the Indian caste system. So they have an Indian caste system where judged on where they're from, their inheritance, they're born. They're into certain different uh, castes is the way they class it. And he was in the wealthiest one possible. But at 23, he encountered Jesus. And he knew that that meant that he would have to give up everything. And the first thing that happened after he encountered Jesus was that his family disinherited him. They held a funeral for him. And for weeks he would walk the streets of Bangalore, wondering what to do next, but then speaking about his newfound faith. And through Raj, many have come to experience Jesus. The cost was everything, but it was the pearl of great price. It was worth buying, selling everything to get the field, to get the treasure. Now for us, that is an incredibly radical situation, but the cost is the same. There might be something that we're holding on to that we're just holding on to tightly, that we just need to lay down for the sake of Jesus and his kingdom. The cost of the kingdom is everything. The cost of the kingdom is also nothing. I know, it's paradoxical. How, how does that work? We see that the co- it will cost us everything. Both examples, they sold all they had for the treasure. But what was interesting, what struck me in the first story was actually that it wasn't the treasure that was purchased. If we read verse 44 again, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. What did the man find? Anyone? What did he find? The treasure chest. Well done, Ross. But what did the man buy? The field, yes. It cost him everything to buy that field, but the treasure came with the field. He didn't buy the treasure, but he bought the field. It's almost like the greatest buy one, get one free promotion ever, isn't it? Buy this field, get the treasure free. 
don't know how that works. But we get the treasure, the treasure that's hidden, we get that free. And that means that our relationship with Jesus, Jesus, what he's given to us is a gift. He's giving us a gift. He's not saying, you need to do this. You need to meet the certain level of expectations to come and to buy my treasure. He's saying, no, 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 no. The treasure is free. The treasure is free. The cost of letting everything else go is high. But the treasure is free. We see that the treasure is free to those who are searching. We see that the treasure is free to those who just stumble upon it. And it might be like Justin, uh, Justin the martyr in the second century. He was a brilliant professor. He tried all the schools of philosophy, but remained unsatisfied. And then one day, he met an old man who told him about Jesus. He read the scriptures and he was convinced it was true. Maybe you've been searching. Maybe you've been looking for something in all different spheres of life. And actually the treasure is right here today in Jesus. Maybe you just stumbled upon it. Like our treasure winners today. Um, obviously someone wasn't sitting in that seat. But there, you probably came this morning and didn't expect to get gold. Whisper gold. It's like James Bond. Gold. Whisper gold. You didn't expect to get gold today. They didn't expect it when they came this morning. They had no idea what they were looking for. But that was the gift. That is the gift of the kingdom. It's all God always presents it to us as a gift. And when I think about when, when Jill and I were expecting Levi, we were so overjoyed and so excited, but also we knew there was a cost to come. And all the parents were like, yes, there is a cost to come. It's costly for all the things you need to buy and prepare for and all the things that you think you need to buy when actually you don't really need to buy, but the shop tells you that you need to buy, but you don't need to buy. Uh, it's costly for your sleep. It's costly for your home. It's costly for uh, privacy. But Levi was that free gift, and we had to make room for him. We had to make room in our hearts and our lives to accommodate him. The kingdom is a free gift, but we need to make room in our hearts and our lives for that. It's not something that goes on the shelf. It's not something that takes, just doesn't take up anything. It takes up the whole room. It takes up the whole room in our hearts, but that's the cost. It's the best decision. It costs everything and nothing. And what is, the kingdom is treasure, and it's a gift to us. And what is the action that we do with a gift? Well, we have a gift for someone. The action is that we give it don't we? And Jesus is giving that gift this morning. If you don't know Jesus, then that gift is for you this morning. His kingdom and him. He is the hidden treasure. He is the pearl of great price. It will cost us everything to let go of things, but the gift is free as we give away, as we receive him. And the question is, do we want to receive that gift today? For those of us that don't know Jesus, but for those that do, the challenge for us is how we have this gift. We have this gift in our hearts as Jesus followers. How do we give that gift away? How do we present that gift? How do we give that away? When we see people, um, how do we give that away? But also when we see people who receive that gift, how do we react? How do we react well? And um for a man of my age, 31, I've been inspired and just so interested. I don't know if anyone else would have 
noticed this or picked this up this week, but the apparent uh, miraculous conversion of Kanye West very publicly uh, through his album, Jesus uh, is King, and uh, through his Airpool karaoke with James Corden. If you've got 20 minutes spare, watch that YouTube video this morning. It'll br- Not this morning, this afternoon. It'll bring you life. It's incredible. And just Kanye West, who I've followed for many years, enjoyed... Uh, I was probably an earlier follower, mostly enjoyed his college trilogy, and then he went a bit weird, I kind of went off him, and then he started saying things like, I am God. I am God. That's what he used to say. He also changed his name for a while to Ye, which would be the word, the Hebrew word for Jesus. And he's like, I am God, the Hebrew word for God, should I say. It's this crazy thing. And now he is saying, Jesus is king. Jesus is king. And that is a man who's found the treasure. But then, you see on Twitter, on Facebook, on social media, Christians saying, it'll never last. It's just a phase. He'll slip up. Why why should we believe it? I'm like, gosh, when I think about that, I think about the story of the prodigal son. Probably the most famous parable in the Bible, where the prodigal son is running back to the father. He's turning away from all the things he's done. He's running back to the Father. And I think for us as Christians in the moment, we have a choice. We can be right beside the Father and cheering those prodigals on, or we can be the older brother in the story. A kind of shady older brother who stands at the side and thought, oh, I never got a calf. I never got a calf when that happened, or I never got that party. How we react, how our actions react in this moment in time, is crucial because we want people to experience the kingdom. We want people to experience that gift. So if we were saying, oh, my gift looked a bit more secondhand than that, or it's, oh, my gift doesn't look as good as that now, then we're, we're shooting ourselves in the foot. We want to be people that welcome people in, that show people the gift of Jesus. And the cost, we're, gonna, we're always going to say the cost of the kingdom is everything, but that gift is free. It doesn't cost anything. Let's see how in our workplaces, in our weeks this week, we can think about how can I steward, how can I present that gift well? How can I, if I see people receiving that gift, how can I welcome them in rather than just push them away? The cost of the kingdom is everything. The cost is nothing. And finally, the cost of the kingdom is priceless. The man finds the treasure in the field and he says these wonderful three words, in his joy. Why don't you repeat that? In his joy. Maybe a bit more joyful. In his joy. In his joy he went and sold all he had and bought the field. The word used, the Greek in that moment is eureka. It was a eureka moment, a penny drop moment, a light bulb moment, a mic drop moment, all in one. He had found what he had been looking for. He had found what he'd been searching and it brought him great joy. And joy is the authentic experience and evidence of the kingdom of heaven in our lives. We're called to be a joyful people. We're called to be joyful because we know how much that Jesus has saved us. We're called to be joyful because we know all that he's done for us. We're called to be joyful because we know how that means when we live our everyday lives. It brings joy. So remember the next time that we're maybe grumbling about the weather or the traffic or whatever, we are called to be a joyful people. We are wired for joy. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're wired for joy.
And if there's not someone next to you, shout it and say, you're wired for joy. We're wired for joy. We are wired for joy. But sometimes we don't show that, do we? We don't show that sometimes. And uh, Simon Ponsonby has a quote that he says, that sometimes we're more Eeyore than in awe. Sometimes we can be a bit more Eeyore than in awe. And that is true, isn't it? Sometimes we can be down, we can be, oh, let's change that. We are wired for joy. We're not wired for mediocre. We're not wired for melancholy. We're not wired for glum. We're wired for joy. Let's be people that are distinguished by the mark of joy, no matter what is going on in our lives. Joy is an incredible, deep-rooted thing that... um, we have that sense that even when things are, are tough, things aren't going the way that we want, we still can have that joy. I think of C.S. Lewis, and um, uh, the writer of the Chronicles of Narnia, and just has this great story of conversion where he wrestled with the truth of Christianity and then kind of reluctantly became a Christian. I don't know if anyone else has reluctantly become a Christian before, but you're like, okay, fine, oh, yeah, I'll do it. And he committed in an intelligent and reasoned way and thought, actually, that is the truth. That is the way. And kind of went, okay then, you're right. But then he writes about this amazing experience he has on the bus home where he experienced true joy for the first time. And he writes that he wasn't expecting to be affected emotionally or in his heart. And later he wrote a book, a wonderful book called Surprised by Joy. Because he was surprised. He was like, I didn't think a Christian would be fun. I thought I'd be glum. And maybe that was how he saw people. I don't know. But we want people to see that actually being being a Christian can be the best thing ever. Because we have that hope. We have that joy. Another thing that C.S. Lewis Lewis wrote is that joy is the serious business of heaven. No matter what the situation. We can be happy, that can be dependent on our situations, but joy is that deep-rooted sense, that defining feature of no matter what is going on, I have God in my heart, and I am content. That I have that joy, I'm able to have that. The kingdom will cost us everything. The kingdom will cost us nothing, and the kingdom is priceless. And um, in both of these examples, of these parables, the people were searching. They were searching for something. And in society today, we see people searching, searching to find something. And sometimes people don't know what that is. But sometimes, and I, I know I've done it, we take a gap here and think, I just need to find myself. I just need to find myself. Or I'm going to take a career break. Or I'm just going to take a step back and find myself. I had a, found a hilarious story this week about some, a lady who found herself. She took this whole level of self-discovery to a new level where uh, she was part of a major mountain search in a really obscure kind of wilderness area of I- Iceland looking for a lost tourist until she realized that she was that lost tourist. This happened. She was in question. She failed to turn up for a tour bus. Uh, A search party went out to these remote hillsides and was only called off, get this, at 3 a.m. Oh, you'd be dying inside if you were that person. Be like, actually, that person, it was me. Emerged. She hadn't realized uh, she was participating in a search for herself. And the penny dropped when it was well underway, when the police had been called, when all the search parties had been out, and she went to the bus driver and said, the, per- the person that I'm looking for is actually me. And she had been outside looking for herself. The point is to the world, 
finding ourselves feels like that pearl of great price, doesn't it? It feels like what people are looking for. But actually, as a follower of Jesus, finding the kingdom is priceless. Finding the kingdom is that pearl of great price. One of my favorite hymns, when I survey, summarizes it with its last line, where it says, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. It's priceless. It's priceless. The cost of the kingdom is everything. The cost of the kingdom is nothing. And the cost of the kingdom is priceless. Hopefully that demonstrates what it means to follow Christ, to be part of his kingdom, to be part of his family. But when I want to finish with this, but when I think of the sacrifice that Jesus made for each one of us, whether we know him or not, being crucified for our sins, we sometimes may wonder why Jesus died. But we can see if we look at these parables, we can see why. We are the treasure hidden in a field to him. We are that pearl of great price. He went digging to find us. The thought of each of us gives him great joy. We are that treasure, that joy that God was willing to give up everything as he saw us as priceless. So when we think about the cost, the cost we make has already been paid by Jesus and his sacrifice. Why don't we stand and I will pray for us.